So one of the scariest things about driving up Big Bear are those rails on the side. You often, I don't know if you ever felt this, if you are a driver, maybe you will be soon, hopefully. But I always wonder, like, man, what would happen if I just hit it really hard and went over the side? Sometimes I feel like I might do it on purpose. It's that weird thing where it's like, oh, it's like when you go to the top of a building, you're like, don't jump, don't jump, don't jump. It's weird, right? I think we all know what that feels like. But there is a real danger that uh, going on a treacherous terrain might kind of throw you off and you might accidentally crash. Uh, but that's why the guardrails are there. When you get into your vehicle and you're trying to curve around a corner, the guardrails are meant to be there as a means to prevent you from actually going over the side of the road. And so the Christian life is not too dissimilar. The guardrails serve as a way of keeping you on track. The guardrails of the Christian life are the warnings in Scripture. And tonight we come across some warnings, uh, warning passages. And those warnings are guardrails to keep you on the path. Now, before we jump into that, though, I need to give you a little bit of context. We're about to jump into a path where, or a passage where uh, the preacher of Hebrews is essentially saying, last week I gave you a positive example in, in the life of Moses. He was faithful in all of God's house, but Jesus is better. Moses is a hero. Jesus is the hero. So you should look to him and follow him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Tonight, we're going to look at a negative example of the people of Israel the way that they did not follow faithfully. And so we're going to be looking at, uh, we're really jumping into a passage where uh, he's referring to Psalm 95 and Numbers 14. Now, just to give you a quick overview of those two passages, actually Numbers 13 and 14, just so you know where we're coming from or where he's coming from, this will be helpful. So if you'll notice here at the bottom of that V-shaped landmass there, uh, right in the, in the middle there, that's where the desert of Meribah uh, or um, uh, Massa is. This is where in Numbers 13 and 14, Moses sends out the spies to go look at the land, the promised land. God promises Israel, look, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to deliver you from Egypt and then send you into the promised land. And your job is to go and take the land. So Moses and Aaron send out the spies and all things are awesome. They go out for 40 days and then they come back and they tell Israel, hey guys, the land is amazing. Milk and honey and all sorts of wonderful things. Oh, one downside is that the people there are massive and we're going to die. And so these guys come back with a message, not of hope and let's do it because God gave us the victory, but a message of fear. And in fact, they turn all of the people of Israel against Moses and Aaron. There was only one person that stood against these, this, this group of spies. But they essentially turn the whole crowd and say, you know what? These guys are right. Let's not go to the promised land. Let's go back to Egypt and let's go submit ourselves to slavery. It was better for us to be slaves in Egypt than to be free in the desert and follow God's path. And so Moses and Aaron pleaded the people, say, please don't do this. You, you were just delivered from Egypt and God has rescued you and restored you and shown you these great miracles. And in response, this is funny. I mean, it's terrible, but not funny. In response, the people say, thanks for your great advice, Moses, but here's what we want to do. We're all going to get stones. Let's stone you and kill you for what you're saying. Serious. And so God uh, steps in 
God steps in before the people stone Aaron and Moses, and he shows his glory in some magnificent way. He calls Moses and Aaron to himself, and he says, Moses, look, I'm going to destroy these people, and I'm going to make you a people. These people are clearly stiff-necked. They're rebellious. They don't trust me, even though I showed them all these miracles, and so I'm going to make a people out of you. Moses, to his credit, says, well, hold on, Lord. Before you do that, let me remind you what you said. And he essentially intervenes and intercedes on behalf of the people based on what God has said. And God says, you know what? You're right. I appreciate your prayers. I will spare this people. But, but because they rebelled against me and because they did not believe me, I will not let them enter the promised land. They will wander the desert for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies spied out the land. They're going to wander the desert for 40 years and they will eventually die in the desert. That was the response from God to the people of Israel because they chose not to believe him. And so this is the background for our passage. Last week we said, Moses, faithful, awesome. People of Israel, they had some struggles. It wasn't always good for them. They, oh, you know, they weren't always chilling. They had some issues. You know, this is the landmass I was pointing to. You'll notice, and it's hard to see from this picture, but uh, here's modern day, right? Saudi Arabia. You'll notice top left-hand side right there in the middle, just above Egypt, that little landmass where you see Israel. That's where they were. This is what the, the era we're talking about here. And here's the, here's the moral of the story for you. It's not so important where, the, where they are. I just thought that'd be helpful for you to kind of get a mental image of where they're, where they're at. You look at Israel and say, those guys were idiots. They saw all the great things God did, and they still did not believe God. But the danger for you is the same as it was for them, that you see God do great things in your life, and yet you still close off your heart toward him such that you don't believe him. You choose not to believe him. You make your heart, uh, your heart hard toward the God who made everything. And you might look at Israel and say, well, if I had their privileges, if I was able to have Moses as my youth pastor, I'd be a much better Christian. If I was able to see Pastor Rod split the red <clears throat> Lake Mission Viejo in half, if I saw Pastor Rod do that, I would be a much better Christian. And, and Scripture says, not necessarily. You remember when uh, in Spider-Man, with great uh, power comes great responsibility. Well, the same is true in a Christian life. God has given them great power behold, uh, beholding his power, and yet their responsibility to respond to him in faith was a far cry from what it should have been. Essentially, what I want to warn you about tonight is that you are in danger of doing what the Israelites did, rebelling against God and suffering the consequences. And the reason why is because your flesh works against you. And if you're not on high alert, heeding the warnings of the, of the scriptures, you can veer off the road through the rails and over the edge in your spiritual life. Tonight's message could be boiled down to one sentence, and it's this. We must guard our hearts or we will gravitate toward unbelief. You guard your heart and you follow Christ or you don't and you become an unbeliever guaranteed. That's pretty real, huh? Got serious really quick. Well, let me show you where I'm seeing this in tonight's text. Hebrews chapter 3 we're going to look at verses 7 all the way through verse 19, the end of the chapter. As I told you already, this chapter is divided up into two sections. Scripture says, look, I want you to consider Jesus Christ, who's more glorious, more awesome than Moses. That's the positive example. And now let me show you a negative example, starting at chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today... If you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion 
on the day of testing in the wilderness. This is Numbers 13 and 14. I just referred to you. Where your fathers, the prior Old Testament Israelites, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation of Israelites who wandered in the wilderness. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, God says, they shall not enter my rest. Now he's talking about the promised land, and he's also talking about a future rest, which we'll get to next week. They're not going to enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Notice first in the top part of, of this passage here, verse 7, therefore, as who says? Holy Spirit. Now you can't see this in my, my copy and paste here, but if you're looking at your Bible, you'll notice that in Hebrews chapter 3, the preacher of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95. So he's looking at Psalm 95 and says, oh, here's what God said in Psalm 95. But pop quiz, who really wrote Psalm 95? The physical agent was David. There is a physical person behind Psalm 95, and yet Hebrews 3 says the Holy Spirit says this. God himself says. So he's saying essentially the word that you have in your hands is God's word, and it's not the Holy Spirit said a long time ago, sometime in the past. He says the Holy Spirit says. It's present tense. This is for us right now. And then he goes on to say, look, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Again, he's quoting here, and he's, he's saying essentially verse 12 is where he culminates into the, the exhortation for you. He says, take care, brother. Brothers. And again, sisters in the room, think of yourself in this. Take care, brothers and sisters. Be on guard. Be on high alert, lest there be in any of you all an evil, unbelieving heart, the result of which is it leads you to fall away from the living God. Not a dead God. He's not a God who's passive. He's alive. And you will fall away from that God if you're not on guard, guarding your heart which is why I put this like, uh, like this in point number one. I think based on this text, at minimum, I can say this. I said this, monitor your heart always. In fact, my points tonight are very simple. Sometimes I try to get really creative and cute. These are not those tonight. Really straightforward, and I think they're, they're, they're super meaningful because of how this passage unfolds. Some of you guys have asked me why I wear two watches. You ever notice that? I'm sure you've noticed. I've got two watches on. Well, I actually don't have two watches. This is a watch. This is a heart rate monitor. Why do you wear a heart rate monitor, Pastor Rod? Thank you for asking. When I almost died before STM Utah, I had this realization that I, I probably had a, a, a heart issue that required me to take some active measures. Uh, two years ago, just before STM Utah, I was riding my Peloton, and suddenly my heart rate spiked through the roof. I got lightheaded and dizzy. I started feeling weak in the knees, and so I got off my bike, and I went into my, my living room. My wife was there, and I said, babe, something's wrong. And I lay down on the floor. She's like, do you want me to call 911? I said, I, no, I don't know. Let's, let, wait, hold on, let me feel this out. And so I'm laying on the floor thinking, this is my last moment to live. I better say goodbye. I'm thinking, okay, what have I done with my life? Did I do everything God wanted? Seriously, I was thinking about death. A few moments uh, after that time happens, a few pregnant moments later, my heart rate suddenly just drops back to normal. And then I'm fine. 
And so I say, okay, well, something's wrong here. That's a miss. I need to figure out what's happening, but I have to go in STM Utah tomorrow, so I'll figure that out when I get back. <laughs> so, so I did. Um, two months later, I went to the doctor. <laughs> and uh, I know, <laughs> I should have done that sooner, I know. Uh, I went to the doctor uh, a little bit later, and I found out that I had a, what was called a tachycardia. Um, it's a fancy word to say, to say that your heart beats really fast and you experience feelings of death and doom. And there's a million reasons why it could be happening. I need to go in and do a stress test and all these other things. Um, so I decided, you know what, never mind, I'm good. I never did that. Instead, I took more seriously monitoring my heart. And so, yeah, my, my Apple Watch does the heart rate thing, but this one monitors, it, uh, monitors my heart 24-7. It shows me every moment of the day when I have a heart rate spike, when I have a heart. And I, I've been able to do that. And I better take a look at what's happening in my life. And long story short, I have benefited from looking at my heart more closely. And all the metrics, just so you know, I know you're concerned about me right now. All the metrics have improved dramatically, just so you know. What we need, though, is a similar attitude that I have toward my heart, my physical heart, and we should all have toward our spiritual heart. Scripture calls us not to be passive about the operation of our spiritual heart toward God. In fact, Scripture gives us the, the, the imperative, like, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. You always have to keep close eye on what your heart is doing. This is something you cannot neglect as a Christian. I can guarantee you, you will not follow Christ if you do not guard your heart, if you're not constantly aware of how your heart is interacting. In fact, let me put it like this. You should monitor your heart always because your heart is the operating system of your life. It's no overstatement to say that your heart governs what you think, how you feel, how you interact with the world around you. Your heart is the control center of your life. It's the very thing that God says in Proverbs 4.23. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it, from the heart, flow the springs of life. Everything flows from your heart emotions, intellect, your will. The Bible talks about your heart as the governing center of all that you are. You might think, well, my heart refers to emotions. Well, yes, in part, but biblically speaking, the heart is the thing that controls everything that you do in your life. So the clothes that you wear are an expression of your heart. They demonstrate that you value certain things. You may not fully be aware of how your heart operates in your day-to-day -day life, but your clothes do express your heart. Scripture says, Jesus says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Your words are an expression of your heart. What you most value, what you love, what drives you to, to, to live are exposed by the words that you choose to say or not say, as the case may be. The things that you do with your life, the way that you spend your time are expressions of your heart. The things that you spend your money on are an expression of the values of your heart. You get what I'm saying here? The heart is the operating system of your entire life. Everything about who you are starts with your heart. And so if we could put it differently, we'd say the heart is the core of your being. It's the who you are. It's the, the you that is you, the center of your life. Remember when I went from... <clears throat> Uh, Windows OS to Mac OS, it took me a, a minute to kind of get oriented. Not only is Mac OS superior on every level possible, but it's aesthetically pleasing. Like it's nice to click on the mouse and the, the trackpad. Everything just works. It's, it's a magical experience. 
And moving from one operating system to the other required me to have to unlearn old habits and start to learn new habits. It's not too different in the Christian life. When you go from death to life, when you go from non-Christian to Christian, that means you have to adopt a new way of doing things, a new mentality. And part of that mentality is keeping a close watch on the heart that God has given you. In fact, one of the things I, I don't miss about my Windows OS is I had to subscribe to a, an antivirus software. You guys know what that is? If you, if, you have a, if you have a Windows machine, because Windows is so unstable and always subject to security risks and is basically garbage on a screen, they require you to, to, download, uh, to download antivirus software so that some hacker in India doesn't get your, you know, your pictures of your selfies or whatever. And so you need an antivirus software. It runs 24-7, seven days a week, as long as your machine is on. Macs don't require that because they're safe and reliable and beautiful to look at as well. This isn't a commercial for Mac, but you get my point. The antivirus software uh, needs to run on Windows because it's irreparably broken. The same thing needs to happen with our soul. We need to keep a close watch on ourselves and our soul because it, it is broken. Our heart does yearn for the wrong things, and therefore you need to have a, an awareness of what's going on in your heart. Here's essentially what I want you to get from this first subpoint here. Everything in your life stems from your heart. The people that you're attracted to is an expression of your heart. The things that you find repulsive is an expression of your heart. Here's another one. The things that you laugh at, the things that you find humorous are an expression and a revelation of your heart. So again, all this to say, the heart is the operating system of your life. Therefore, as I already mentioned here, your heart requires ongoing attention. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. This is Paul talking to Pastor Timothy saying, look, keep a close watch on yourself and on the things that you teach because by so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. You need to have a self-awareness so that you don't allow yourself to drift and to flow away from Christ. There is no set it and forget it in the Christian life. You must keep a close watch on yourself lest you become uh, desensitized to the Holy Spirit, which you can do. With that lead up, I want to give you some practical suggestions. In fact, this came from, a, I was watching, okay, I don't know if I want to tell you this. You guys already know. I think I've said this before. No, I have a TikTok account. You know that, right? You don't know that. Good. My primary reason for getting a TikTok account was so I could see what you guys are doing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's exactly why I got it. Um, along the way, I found accounts that I really enjoy. <laughs> but I've also seen some of your accounts, and I saw someone's account this week, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring this up uh, because I think it's worth it. So when I talk about uh, monitoring your heart, just keep in mind that I am thinking about, practically speaking, you. <laughs> think about you. So when it comes to your heart, I want you to think about inputs and outputs, okay? Let's talk about your inputs first. We need to guard your inputs. Here's an obvious one that you're going to totally expect, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm your pastor and I love you. One of the inputs of your life should be Scripture. This is rewriting or correcting the software in your soul. It's calibrating the things that you should understand as right and wrong. This is you telling your heart, this is what you need. This is why you should uh, follow God. This is what's important with you. This is the input that should be on your schedule no matter what. This needs to be part of what you do every single day, ideally multiple times a day. Guard your inputs. The first one I'm going to give you, that's an obvious one. This one's related to what I just brought up, their, their TikTok accounts and even in mine, teaching. 
Now, I could be referring to sermons that your pastors preach, which is good. You should listen to those sermons. And I'm thinking about even the sermons you can get online from different pastors and preachers all over the globe and all over the, the world and uh, all over the United States. But I'm thinking about the kind of teaching that you don't necessarily know is something you're being taught. So when you follow accounts or when you are, um, if, if, uh, if you're on a, that other one, Instagram, and you're sharing a story, you have to ask yourself, and you should be asking always, am I promoting something or someone that is teaching something contrary to what God says is right and wrong? Am I endorsing something, a teaching, an ideology that God would say is, is wrong and I should, not be, I should not be watching this myself, much less should I be sharing it with other people? Guard your inputs means being aware, fully aware, that what you feast your eyes on, what you give your attention to, is literally what you're giving your life to. And everything that you give your attention to is going to leave an impression on your heart. It is impossible for anything else to be the case. When you, okay, so think about this. There are songs that are stuck in your head since the beginning of time, right? Songs that you hate, and yet they're still there. My case and my point has been proven. There are things that are going to leave a mark on your heart that you don't really have much of a choice. Just by you giving yourself to it or you hearing it, it's going to be impactful on you. Speaking of music, let's talk about music. When you repost or share or when you, let's say, use a song to create a TikTok video, like you're dancing and you're being cute. and or <laughs> Great, do that. In fact, the only video I have in my TikTok is is a group of my students in Utah um, doing some TikTok dance. It was that, uh, it's the, that, da 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 you know that one? That da 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 Babe, what's that song called? You know that song. Kristen was dancing it. Huh? I forgot the name too. Blanco Brown. Anyway, okay. Music. You remember it? You got it? Okay, doesn't matter. Stop, stop distracting me. The devil. Okay, music. This is awkward for me, and it's going to be awkward for you, so let's just go through this together. When I see your videos or your pictures or anything like that, that I, I, I scratch my chin and sometimes I say, well, why would they do that? This person, <clears throat> this young man, this young lady has a profession of faith, and on their account or on their feed, which is an expression of who you are, you can sometimes put things out there that make me say, why would they do <laughs> Why would they do that? In one of them, I saw this video, and it was otherwise innocuous, okay? So otherwise innocuous, but the video had several profanities in it. person wasn't using them, but their video was. Their song that they were playing was like, like talking about F this. And I mean, it wasn't like, oh, it, I think I heard that. No, it was like, boom, <laughs> this is the song. F this and whatever that. I thought, I, I, we baptize that person. Why do they think that that's okay? And here's, here's what I think. I've been thinking about this the last several days. Here's what I think. It is possible for you to expose yourself to content in various places where you become so desensitized to it being a wrong thing that you no longer experience it as a wrong thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just, that's just the way we talk. That's what we do. That's a, that's, that's a song that everyone's using to create this, this meme or this video, and so I'm going to use that too. You need to be especially aware of your inputs. I'm going to put it like this. I, I think for you, to, for you to promote ungodly music is wrong. I think that's wrong. Uh, for you to promote an ungodly lifestyle, 
is wrong because you're, you're sending a mixed message about who Christ is and what your life should be in response to that. Now, I'm not saying that your whole feed needs to be Bible verses and that you have to only post Christian memes or that you have to follow youth pastor memes, tutorial or whatever. I'm not saying that. In fact, if you look at my feed, that's not that. What I am saying, though, is you need to guard your inputs. Whatever you're allowing into your heart, into your eyes, into your ears, you're allowing into your soul, and that will have a shaping influence on your life guaranteed. The question is, what kind of influence are you seeking after? Is it the best kind? Guard your inputs, process your outputs. Now, this one I, I thought would be helpful for you. Guard your inputs, process your outputs. Uh, I think it would be very helpful for you to spend time in silence and solitude for the express purpose of spending time in prayer with God. You know, when you think about your outputs, so what I'm talking about is examining your life, looking at your life as objectively as you're able to and saying, okay, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. And please lead me on the path of everlasting. You don't know yourself as well as you should. And really, your whole life is going to be spent with you progressively trying to understand the, the why and the how that your soul operates. And one of the things that facilitates this is spending time alone with God without interruption. Just you, a Bible, the Holy Spirit, you, you do your thing with the Lord and perhaps a journal, something like that. But to spend time with the Lord to allow your soul to quiet down. One of the greatest grievances for your generation, and to a lesser extent mine, but mostly yours, is that you're constantly bombarded by noise. There's noise everywhere. There's always music playing. There's always some advertisement seeking your attention. There's always inputs in your life that are screaming out for you to give it attention. And I'm saying you need to fight against that tendency by spending time in silence and in aloneness with Jesus Christ. This is going to be for the sanity of your soul. And I know you may not feel this now, but I promise you this will be helpful for you if you begin to practice this as you think about who you are in Christ, the ways that you need to grow in Christ, and on and on it goes. And of course, I can't help but talk about this and not talk about using a tool like a journal to better understand yourself, to jot thoughts down, to consider the ways that God is operating in your life. And you guys know that I am a journal fanatic. I write about my life all the time. Not because I'm a narcissist. I, I don't plan on ever sharing this. It's not my intention that any of you all read this. In fact, please don't. But there are times when I'll see entries in my journal that I think, oh man, that's a really helpful thing that God taught me. So I, I use this app called Day One. I'm using it for years now. And there's a feature that says on this day. So you can look back at all the entries that you did on a certain day. So I found an entry from three years ago. And I thought, oh, and it's just one little part. I'm not going to show you the whole thing. But I wanted to show you just something that God taught me uh, three years ago. Which, what's 2022? So 2019? 2020? Okay, uh, several years ago. Here's something that I found. And this is how God has helped me use this tool and my, my, one way I can encourage you. Two things I learned about myself this past week. Okay, silly, I use prompts. That's just my thing. Don't feel like you have to do that. I thought I was stronger and tougher. I'm not. <laughs> not rocket science. I still need a ton of discipline to get work done that I need. I, it's not it's terrible, right? But that's me thinking about myself and saying, okay, what do I need to change about me? That's one thing. I'm not as strong or as tough as I thought I was. I need a ton of discipline which probably led me to, to pray. And the, if you saw the rest of this entry, you'd be able to put that in context a little better. But there you go. The second one, when I eat poorly, I am also far more likely to entertain sin. I noticed a difference or I noticed an interaction between the way that I ate and the way that I lived. There, for me, was a way that I could see that there was an, uh, an organic 
connection between the two. And I finished it opposite is also true. Bad habits reinforce themselves. Small, like almost insignificant. You don't even really, like, not, not like, oh, amazing, brand new insight. That's not the point. The point is for you to know you, for you to get an understanding of what's happening in your heart so you can monitor it and you can feed it. As we went on last week, giving your heart the, the nurture that it needs um, requires you to be putting your finger on the pulse of your spiritual heart. Okay, we started out with the you part. Now let me expand your horizons a bit. You can't do this alone. Look at verses 13 and 14. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. Sounds like what we read last week, right? We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, I want you to notice uh, the interactivity of these passages. You look at verse 13, but exhort one another. This is not just you. This is everybody in your, in your sphere of influence. Do it all every day, as long as you can call it today, so that none of us, none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we uh, common here. We together have come to share in Christ. If we hold our original confidence firm to the end, there is a profound community orientedness to Christianity. And for us not to practice this is to our own detriment and demise. This is why I worded our primary point like this. We must guard our hearts or we will gravitate toward unbelief. There is a collectedness to our Christianity and to not do it is to shoot yourself in the foot. Point number two, you must encourage each other daily. You must encourage each other daily. You must encourage each other daily for your sake and for theirs. One of the coolest advertisements I ever saw was like this. First thing you notice is that he's missing a tooth. And then you realize he's missing an eyebrow. <laughs> that's when I realized I should go to the dentist. <laughs> and that's when Dr. Nolan chided me. Well, chide is a strong word. Strongly rebukes me. It would probably be better. Strongly rebukes me and said, he said, uh, <clears throat> this is embarrassing, actually. I'm not, gonna, not sure I want to tell you guys now that I started this. He said it would be a good idea to, to floss your teeth every day. It's not my, not my best feature. I don't floss every day. Uh, but he tried to encourage me. He says, look, if you don't floss every day, what ends up happening is that between your teeth and in different parts of your teeth that your toothbrush doesn't reach, it, it builds up bacteria, which leads into that filmy stuff called plaque. And then that plaque develops into a calcified a hard substance on your teeth called tartar or uh, uh, calculus is another, word, another name for it. Nothing to do with this, this, the math. It develops in a calculus. And he says, and once that happens, um, your, your gums can become irritated and they can bleed because your body's trying to kill the bacteria and it can't. And on top of that, you could lose teeth. It can have effects on the way that your body operates. Your heart can have issues because if plaque gets into your bloodstream, it can create clogs in your artery. You just laid out the whole list of all the things that could go wrong unless you begin to floss daily. 
as the, as the gal, uh, the, the hygienist also chimed in and said, yeah, yeah, you should definitely do that. She encouraged me that not flossing um, also can have more adverse effects than even what Dr. Nolan said, that the effects can be uh, greater and, and, and more extensive than that. It's just a matter of time. They said, if you do it every day, uh, the idea is that your gums stay soft and supple. Your teeth can stay, keep all their bone density and make sure that they stay lodged into your gums for years to come. And if you don't, you're, you're an idiot, so please start doing that. <laughs> so unless you floss daily, all these things can be far worse in your life. The tartar between your teeth hardens and becomes more dangerous to you. The sin in your heart hardens and becomes more dangerous to you. If you're not willing to deal with your sin daily... In a very similar way to the tartar between your teeth, your sin can harden and become much more difficult to deal with, which is why the dailiness of this impact is so necessary. When you go to the dentist, someone else sticks their hand in your mouth and scratches off the, the calcified tartar between your teeth because now it's gotten to a place where you can't do it yourself. The idea here is that together, we function like dentists. We're trying to help each other get rid of the stuff between our teeth. And we do that by seeking to encourage one another daily. Encouragement is a heart-softening agent. Encouragement helps prevent the buildup of hardened hearts. And if we're faithful to do this, I, I think this text is telling us, look, we can be confident that when we encourage each other daily, when we take, a, a, when we take this mindset of caring for one another deeply, this causes us to run hard and to stay the course and to not drift and to not forget Jesus, but to stay focused. Now, I told, I told, I've been talking about uh, people that have come and have not showed up at True North for a long time. Look, you have a responsibility. We all do, really. But there are people in your small groups that haven't shown up for weeks or months, and you're like, well, I, don't, I guess someone, someone's reaching out to them. Why not you? Your job is to encourage each other daily. Scripture calls us to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. It's today Wednesday. It's called today. Today's a day to exhort one another. As I've said before, and I'm just going to say it again here, you are your brother's keeper. And of course, I'm referring back to Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. God's looking for Abel and says, Cain, where is your brother? And Cain says, well, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God's silence effectively says, yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. Now, here's one uh, qualifier or clarification. I know it's really hard because you guys know a lot of people. You have a ton of people at school. Your small groups are some, some of them really large. So how do I make certain I'm responsible for the people that God wants me to be responsible for? I, I put this. I think proximity determines priority. Proximity determines priority. Those closest to you physically are, are really, I think, the greatest responsibility to you. The further someone goes out from your environment, the, the less responsibility you have. Um, which is why I put people over pixels. If you have friends on the internet that you're really close to, and this guy's in Australia, this guy's in over here, I, you have a responsibility, but it's far less than the one that you're sitting next to right now. Which, of course, implies your family, your neighbors, your school friends, your church friends. I think the closer people are to you physically, the greater responsibility you and I have. Case in point would also be the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, he's uh, traveling down the road to Jericho and he comes across somebody and he takes responsibility. That person is physically next to him. He's caring for him. Jesus didn't chide uh, Samaria, the city, and say, hey, you guys, remember, you guys should have taken care of it. No, the guys that were closest to him, physically proximate to this person, Jesus held them responsible. Same thing's true for us. It, it, you are your brother's keeper and those who are closest to you, those who are physically near to you, are those I think that you possess responsibility for. So how do you do this? If you're going to take responsibility for them, at minimum, 
Minimum. Minimum. I think you should be praying for your brothers and sisters. Praying seriously. Praying heartily. You're your brother's keeper, and your words are incredibly powerful. Some of the words that have been spoken to me that have been deeply encouraging and meaningful, some of them have been spoken by you guys. Uh, I've gotten a few letters from you that I have taken pictures of and have made it in my journal for forever because <laughs> it's an electronic thing, so I don't expect to ever lose it. Those are meaningful to me, and those will have impact, I'm sure, for the rest of my life. And you know the same feeling. When, you, when people have said things to you that were just the right word at the right time from someone you respect, that's made a difference. You remember those words. When someone says, I'm proud of you, I am so proud of what you've done, or I, I love you and I'm so thankful to God for your life. When someone says those things to you, those have a profound effect on who you are. And all I'm saying is that you need to remember that God has given you words to speak to one another. God wants you to use your words to exhort, encourage, and admonish one another to love Jesus Christ, to keep your eyes fixed on him. And to fail to do that is essentially to let your friends go unprotected. Remember, your words, your encouraging words, are a softening agent to a hard heart. So let me give you some encouragement on how to exhort better. Okay, five quick, five quick ways to do this better, because I know, I'm hoping right now, you want to. I want to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of us are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do I do that? Well, here's one way. Tell them where you see God working in them. Be specific. I was just talking about someone today, um, talking to some small group leaders about one of their small group guys, and, and it, it dawned on me that I was just, I said something about this, 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 the student that I thought I should probably say that, <laughs> should say that to them in light of this sermon. I, I said, man, I, I've, seen, I've, I've seen this person grow so much, and I'm really grateful to see that. I, I, I love that this person has grown tremendously. And they agree that, yeah, we've seen that too. I, those are the kind of things to tell people. Like, we don't say that often, but if you have a friend in your small group that you've seen God grow tremendously, tell them. Tell them specifically how you've seen that. Where do you see God working on them? He used to be really, I uh, used to be really sharp and critical, but man, I've seen God change you to be much more sensitive to people, and I'm really excited by how God is using you in that. Tell people. Write them a letter. Some of you guys have noticed that I've gotten into letter writing. If you got a letter from me, I've been really getting into it. Got me a fountain. I got several fountain pens now. I got different inks. I got a wax seal kit. I've got special paper on the I'm just going crazy. I, I am all in and it's sad. Please don't judge me too harshly. But I love it because, because I know that when I send letters, I'm, I'm, I slow down, I have to think about what I'm going to say, and then I, I write it thinking about you. I'll, do, I'll seal it with the wax and I'm thinking about how to make it as, as beautiful to look at as possible because I, I want to be encouraging. I want to encourage you by the way that I am spending time, deliberate time, to love you with letters, with words. You should do the same. Tell them why you are thankful for them. Be specific. And let, let me encourage you to go deeper than the superficial. Jameson, I love you because you're so handsome. Ladies, you can say that. You can say that, but, and, and he'll be, he'll blush, and he'll thank you, I'm sure, and he might return the favor with asking you out on a date, right, Jameson? Totally will. But be more specific and be more, be deeper than the superficial. Why, why, why am I thankful for you? I love, uh, for instance, one of the things I love about Monse, my, my admin, is that her energy and her joy light up a room. Like when, when she laughs, you can hear that from miles away. <laughs> if we needed to, we could land an airplane by her laughter because they could just zero in on how 
powerful it is. <laughs> they would just be, no. she's, she brings joy to the room. She's, she's light. She, she, she makes me a little more less serious and a lot more joyful in my work environment. So things like that. Tell them. Be specific. <clears throat> tell them how you are praying for them. Be specific. You're noticing a, kind of a theme here, right? Tell them how you're praying for them. If, if God leads you to pray for somebody, tell them. Send them a text. Pastor Lucas used to do this to me. He'll send me a text and he'll just give me a, two sentences. Praying for you that, and then he'll just tell me exactly what he's praying for, and then I'll be like, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for saying that. I'm encouraged by that. Number four, or letter D, subpoint. Observe a connection between their lives and God's faithfulness. In other words, uh, I see how God has answered one of the prayers that you brought up three months ago. Do you notice that God is answering your prayer by the way that you just responded to that question? Or do you notice that God's making you more holy by the way that you're interacting with your parents? Whatever. Whatever you see, make an observation. Say it. This last one I know is a dangerous one, but I put it out here anyway because I think the text warrants it. Point out areas of potential blind spots. Be specific. Don't be foolish with this one. Don't be the, the sanctification police. Jesus has already got that. Holy Spirit's got that. It doesn't need you, but you can and you should look out for each other. I was just telling uh, Elvis and Monte a couple days ago, look, if you see something in me that I don't see, please tell me. Please tell me. Don't, don't let me do, say, or be something that is going to hurt people or be a bad witness to Christ. Please tell me. You need friends like that in your life. You should have people that you can say, if you see sin in me, please tell me. I will count it hatred if you do not tell me that there is sin in my life or that you see things that people are responding poorly to. There are things that I am blind to that I can't see without your help. And the same thing is true for all of us. There are blind spots that you need others to point out. So point out areas of potential blind spots. Be specific, be gracious, be kind, be charitable, etc. Last, last several verses here. Uh, the warning continues. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So the, the preacher is now repeating his quotation of Psalm 95. He's saying it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, notice a few things here. Let me point them out to you. First of all, in verse 19, you'll see that they were unable to enter because of the word unbelief. Unbelief was the, the reason he identifies for why they couldn't enter the promised land. But notice in verse 18, he says, we see that they weren't able to enter his rest. Uh, they weren't able to enter his rest because they were disobedient. Notice the, inter the interconnectedness of disbelief, disobedience rather, and unbelief. Then also notice here that these guys had the best pastor, Pastor Moses, the one whom God used. He had Moses and his brother. And not only that, this is the same guy that led them out of Egypt. You remember how God do, did that? We're reading that in the book of Exodus right now. God uh, issues for 10 plagues and God demonstrates his loyalty to the people of Israel by showing miraculous signs and wonders, parting the Red Sea, protecting them, manna in the morning, quail at, well, not at night, but manna, quail. He does a million things to prove to them that he's, he's on their side, that I'm protecting you guys, I'm for you, I'm able to support you. And yet, those are the very same people whose bodies fell in the wilderness. They sinned. They hardened their hearts. They rejected God. They heard and they still rebelled. 
Their rebellion manifested into unbelief and disobedience. And so through all of this, what I want you to remember is the same principle we've been revisiting over and over again. If we don't guard our hearts, we will gravitate toward unbelief. This is the natural flow of our humanity. Therefore, we should, point number three, always acknowledge our, your vulnerability. All the privileges these guys had. Sandals didn't wear out. Food, water from a rock, everything. They had everything they needed, and yet they still rebelled against God. And this is why I shudder at passages like this, because you have so many advantages. And I'm not talking about me. You're at a wonderful church with great parents. Most of you, I'm sure you would acknowledge that to some degree. You have many, you live in a beautiful area. You have many great advantages. And I know, based on this passage, that does not guarantee your fidelity to Christ. You need to acknowledge your vulnerability, young person, and recognize that you are capable of falling. You're capable of departing from Christ. Well, Pastor Rod, you said that if you're saved, that you're secure in Christ forever. Amen to that. Amen. Let me clarify. If you are in Christ, you will firmly acknowledge and be aware that you are vulnerable and you desperately need Christ to keep you walking and running the Christian race. Seatbelts, helmets, door locks, these are all things that you probably don't pay much attention to. You probably put your seatbelt on automatically. You do those things. In the case that something goes wrong, you have a protective element. You lock a door so someone doesn't break in. You put your seatbelt on so that when you crash, you don't fly through the window. Uh, you, you use a helmet so that if you crash, you, you, hopefully your head is protected. You take reasonable measures because your body is vulnerable. Your soul is vulnerable. Perhaps even more so in some ways because the world conspires against you. I want you to feel your vulnerability and to find ways to mitigate it. Let me give you two don'ts and a do. Please don't take your salvation for granted. If you're in Christ, praise his name, thank him, be grateful for that, and recognize that it is a gift that is meant to be stewarded and guarded. Don't take your salvation for granted. Don't assume that because you prayed a prayer that you could just throw your hands in the air like you just don't care and (laughs) depart from Christ or just carry on with your life and just, hey, well, let go and let God. God will take care of it. No, God calls you to fight. God calls you to feed your faith. Don't take your salvation for granted. It is a gift that must be treasured and stewarded. Another don't. Don't overestimate your strength. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Your tendency will be to think that you're strong enough without Christ. You're not. You're not strong enough even without the brothers and sisters next to you. You're not as strong as you think you are because you need Jesus. Do Take vulnerability to Jesus. This really is the culmination of my sermon here. Look, uh, feel your weakness. Know that you're weak. Know that only Jesus is strong and he alone is your hope. He's your life. He's your death. He's everything in between. He's the one who will hold you fast. He's the one who sustains you. And as we sang this weekend, now and ever we confess, uh, now and ever we confess Christ is our hope in life and in death. I want you to feel weak because I want you to realize how strong he is. I want you to feel like, man, I I need to be careful about how I tread because I want you to see Jesus as being infinitely worthy to be considered, to be thought of, to be followed, to be trusted. You are vulnerable. 
And you are only as strong in your faith as you are strong in Christ. If you feel vulnerable to the coronavirus, you will wear a mask, two or three of them maybe. You'll wear it in your car. You'll maybe wear it in the shower. I don't know. At one point, one magazine or CDC, someone said that you should kiss your significant other with your mask on just to make sure. Maybe you did that because you felt vulnerable to the coronavirus. If you feel vulnerable to the coronavirus, you sanitize every time you walked in or out of the building. Uh, you washed your hands for 20 seconds, which I didn't realize, you know, because my watch tells me, that's a really long time. I was never washing my hands anywhere close to that before coronavirus. Okay, t TMI. Let's go. Um, all these things people did almost overnight because they really, and maybe you, really believe that the coronavirus is a substantial threat to your health. People developed habits that now presently endure because the coronavirus posed a real, a real threat to their, their health. You see, your biggest threat, though, is the virus called your sin. And when that virus infects your heart, it can harden and calcify your heart so that you depart from Christ. The real threat is your sin. And the only way to get out from under this is to believe that you are vulnerable to the virus of sin and that the only help and hope you have is not a vaccine. It is Jesus Christ. He is your help. He is your hope. Therefore, my holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is infinitely worthier than anything and everything else in your life. Let him motivate you and sustain you and cause you to say, yes, I will guard my heart because I want to love and cherish Jesus Christ. He is the best thing that this world has to offer. You need Jesus, your only protection, your only hope. Bit of a computer geek, not, not terribly, but I, I have certain apps on my computer like this one here. This one lets me see the in and out traffic of my internet. So what apps are using internet, where they're sending my internet to, like stuff like that. I have a productivity tracker on my computer called Dashboard, and it tracks the apps that I'm using and how long I use them so that I'll know how much time I'm spending on things that are productive versus unproductive. It gives me a report every day. Top of that, I have a, a, a thing called iStats Monitor. It's that little, uh, those little green icons you see in the middle of the screen there. They tell me how much of my CPU I'm using at any given moment. They tell me how much memory I'm using. They tell me how much of my uh, SSD is, my, my hard drive is either filled up or open, and I, I want to make sure that I'm optimizing my computer usage. On top of that, you know I have a heart rate monitor that tells me what my heart rate is all day, every day, so I can stay on top of all that. Uh, I'm making sure that I uh, on, uh, am always monitoring and managing various aspects of my life because I care about those things. One management guru said this. He said, what gets measured gets managed. And I'm a, I'm a bit neurotic about the stuff that I measure. Yeah, I get that. But what I want from you is not to do that. I don't need you to me measure your heart rate. What I do want you to do is to begin to monitor and measure what's going on in your spiritual heart. And what you really want, a sign of health, is that you love and cherish Jesus Christ more than anything. That will keep you from drifting. That will keep you from doing things that you despise. And ultimately, that's what's going to help you stay on guard because you want to protect your love for Jesus Christ. So guard your heart or gravitate toward unbelief. You should guard your heart because Jesus is better. Let's pray.